Hello, and welcome back. You are joining us today for our 19th episode of Opportunity Thrives. I'm Jean Sharp, and I'm here for Jason Mitchell today. On this show, we are committed to better supporting the needs of today's secondary students. Through interviews with students, teachers, administrators, technologists, and education influencers, we want to understand what's working in our schools today, what's not, and how we can impact positive, lasting change. We would love to hear your feedback and suggestions on our show. Please click in the podcast notes to leave us a review, provide your input, or send us your questions. You can also reach out to us at info at opportunitythrives.com. Districts across the country have developed and are implementing reopening plans, plans to safely welcome students and staff back to school this fall. Their work has been comprehensive, thorough, and unprecedented. These plans share several common themes, resetting expectations for the new school year, redefining the school day with consideration for flexible and adaptable learning models, parent choice, as well as health and safety protocols, and restarting school with consideration and attention to detail regarding operational and logistical plans. In these times of uncertainty and change, there is extraordinary pressure on education leaders to provide effective, informative, accurate, and timely communication to students, staff, families, and the larger school community. And finding the right balance of communication can be overwhelming, to say the least. We want to dig a little deeper into this topic today. We will discuss how districts are reevaluating their approach to communication with families and their school communities, including what strategies have been effective and what has been challenging as they provide district updates and communicate critical information. Tom McCanty is joining us for our discussion. Originally a high school science teacher, Tom has been the online learning coordinator for the City School District of Albany, New York since 2011. In his role, he develops and implements web-based learning solutions for secondary level students with the goal of meeting the needs of diverse learning populations. He works together with students, parents, teachers, and administrators to identify deficits and develop short-term and long-term plans to meet student educational goals. He has been very involved in the communication strategies with students, families, and district leadership. And Tom, we look forward to understanding what you've learned throughout this process. Joining Tom is Kanoi Namahoy, who is the Director of Content for Smart Brief Education, covering the latest breaking news in education technology within the K-12 and higher education sectors. As an editor, Kanoi has a broad perspective of what trends are in K-12, including how districts are continuing to evolve their reopening plans and the communication strategies they are implementing and supporting those plans. Thank you, Kanoi and Tom, for joining us today. We look forward to the insights you will share with our audience. Thank you for having us. Tom, let me begin with you. I would love to hear about the students you serve throughout your district and what your district has done to keep students engaged in learning, both in the spring and now as the fall term gets underway. Yes, thank you. All right, I'm happy to explain. Um, Going back to basics in a digital world, it is quite a task. And basically, we've we've trained kids or you know we've have appropriate programs in place that that make kids very reliant on their teachers and it is very difficult for them to get the same sort of feedback and sentiment through a computer screen Mm -hmm. when you have your group meetings set up like we for the most part are doing in all of our high school level classes now students feel even further removed from the content and the teachers than they may have in the classroom, especially our struggling students. So when I say going back to basics, what I really mean is how are you developing that connection and that relationship with that student? Specifically in my role, which historically has been credit recovery 
you know, rapid credit accumulation, night school, summer school, uh, just all these different unique cases, which in a large district are, like ours can be thousands of students. We're now doing that for every student. <laughs> so everything from, you know, the AP level student to a, a ELL student who's struggling with the language, everything for these secondary students is online now. And what we're finding is we have to connect with these kids personally and intensely as best we can. So specifically in my role, a good example is our night school students, which because of uh, budget issues in New York, we've had quite a whirlwind over the past few months. Our budget constraints have made it so we've had to get rid of this, the night school program. So now that that night school program is gone, all those students have been given the option to do virtual learning through, um, well, what we're calling, I guess, the traditional model now, or going fully online um, and kind of almost in an independent study model using, in our case, Apex. And that has been brutally difficult. We have all sorts of email systems, phone call systems that are set up to do mass mailings. Uh, we definitely do some snail mailing as well. But in the night school program, with half of those kids choosing a fully virtual model without much teacher involvement, I couldn't even get a hold of half of those kids. Mm -hmm. So then I had to utilize our, you know, rubber meets the road type folks, we call them homeschool coordinators, to go out and find these phone numbers for these kids because they had to hear me and talk to me personally. It wasn't enough just to get the email like, hey, you're set up, sign on, start learning. So the focus has been how to develop the relationship with the students where they feel connected to you and wanting to learn the material and comfortable learning the material because they're all brutally overwhelmed. I'm sure that's the same sentiment across the country. Every level of student is feeling totally out of place. And like I said before, they've been conditioned to have teachers as the guiding and grounding force in these sorts of situations. And being at home and not being able to meet and talk with them and develop rapport with them, it's really difficult. So whatever we can do to try and foster that sort of approach, honestly, I am finding now good old-fashioned phone calls. The video chats are great when you want to meet with a lot of kids, but I want to set a system up where kids can call me, text me. I actually use Google Voice, and I set up what I refer to as the, the online learning hotline, and the kids can call or text. And I get the most amount of you know, uh, participation in that. Email's fine. Uh, you know. Doing a robocall is fine when the kids just get an update to their phone, but they want to talk to you. So whatever we can do to make that possible. And then for the regular school teachers, whatever we can do to lighten the load so that they can then do that for their, their traditional or online traditional classes. So they actually have a schedule. They're meeting with kids. They're giving homework. They're doing all sorts of assessments, but it's a huge wait especially if they have more than one content area you know it's it's impossible for them to do so we're trying to give them as many tools so that they can set aside the amount of time they would normally spend prepping and delivering instruction so they can develop relationships with the kids whether they find that to be phone calls texting whatever social media it doesn't matter whatever makes that kid feel like they are being held accountable and that they're being supported we're all for and whatever we can do and whatever program we're running to make that happen or help whatever teacher we're working with to make it so they have the time to do that. That's what it's all about right now. You know, Tom, there are two themes that I hear coming through very loudly and clearly in your response. And one is the fact that relationships matter. And the second, of course, is the critical role that the teacher plays in the lives of students as well. So as we think about the communication plans that you put in place for the City School District of Albany and how it impacted your outreach, can you tell us a little bit about what your goals were and how you ensure your students and families were both fully informed and um, aware of how schools would reopen? Well, we took the cast the widest net possible 
approach. On the website, on the news, like I mentioned before, we have these mass emailing services, mass phone calling services to get the word out to every kid and every parent as to what's going on. And that, that's been okay. But really, we have found that we have to man the phones. We have to have each kid, each family with a person they can reach out to. We have a large district. There's a lot of different factions that are working to do the best they can to meet the needs of kids. And sometimes those messages can get a little mixed. That's just the nature of the beast. So the biggest thing that you can do for students and families is say, here's your person. It's a teacher. It's a guidance counselor. We've created these things called pods, which I have seen around the country pretty, pretty well utilized. So every teacher and other staff members get uh, 15 kids that they check in, check in with four times a week. They have open office hours. And that's so those kids and those parents and those uh, whoever, whatever advocate can reach out and connect on a, on a more personal level as opposed to in a classroom of 30 kids or in a mass text or a mass phone call. Thank you, Tom. Kanoe, I suspect that from your perspective as the director of content for an industry-leading publication, you're seeing similar common themes and strategies across districts and across the nation when it comes to communicating critical school plans and communicating with students and families. Would you share a little bit about what you're seeing nationally? Sure. You know, honestly, what we're seeing nationally jives real closely to what, what Tom was just outlining there. And, and he nails it when he says relationship. You know, um, in terms of effective communication, just like Tom was saying, you know, going back to basics, you know, we're, we're seeing school districts dial things back to what is simple, what, you know, casting that wide net. So the tools um, that we're seeing that are being mo- used the most are email, definitely phone. Um, and I think, honestly, the phone is the thing that's contributing a lot towards building relationship, confirming things for parents, making them feel comfortable, making families feel comfortable. There's something about a human voice on the other end of the line where you, somebody can answer your questions or just affirm whatever you're dealing with. So email, phone, um, traditional mail, certainly uh, teacher to student or teacher to family. You're seeing some text. There are some tools, Parent Square and Remind, that um, some schools are using. But in terms of how they're pushing out that information about, you know, schedules, um, you know, when dates, especially with all these dates changing as, as often as they are for some school districts, email and, and phone calls seem to be the most common. Now, a lot, some school districts, um, there is like Prince George's County in, in Maryland, they're also supplementing it with um, parent engagement, like almost like town hall type forums that they're holding and they're, they're inviting parents to those things so that they can just get certain information in person and and so forth. Uh, we're not seeing that as often, but there are definitely pockets around the, con- the country where if they feel it's safe to do that, social distancing wise, they are, they're holding those kinds of things in person, or maybe they're holding them over Zoom. But the most common ones are, again, email and phone. And, and just like Tom was saying that, you know, among the biggest problems that we saw in the spring was just connecting with with students and families, some kids just went right off the right radar and, and you would hear teachers saying, it's been weeks since I've heard from this kid. It's been weeks since I've been able to connect with the family. And out here in California, a couple of teacher friends of mine, when we were talking about communication, they said, you know, kids, when kids couldn't go to school and they're at home and if they're of working age, then they want to work with their parents. We live in an area, large agricultural area, so a lot of our local families work in fields. And, and in the springtime, there are certain crops that are always being harvested at that time. And so those kids went from school, if they had to be home, then they went to work with their parents, which explained why talking with the school just wasn't the priority of the moment at that time. As, as sad as that sounded, there had to be some consistency for those families. And the biggest priority at that time was keeping everybody fed. People were losing their jobs, so they wanted to keep roofs over their head. They wanted to keep food on the table. So communication fell off their priority list for a bit. Heading as we've begun the fall, we're seeing plans are a little bit more solidified, but we're only some months into this thing. This, you know, the, the roof caved in March, March 11th. 
And so seven months into it, we're, I think we're out a little bit of some experimentation, although you're still seeing some of that. And I know school districts are working overtime to try to keep things consistent and flexible for families. I know consistency is a big priority for a lot of schools because that goes a lot to just making families feel comfortable and, yeah. and making and, and building that relationship. And like Tom was saying, you know, making students feel comfortable and making students feel like there was some level ground that they were standing on. I admire that. Thank you, Kanoi. I think we all recognize the, the really critical need to, for students to feel connected right now and for families to feel like they have a human voice that they can talk to and get information from. Kanoi, from your perspective, were you seeing particularly particular challenges that districts were facing in this transition and their communication with families? You know, in terms of communication challenges for districts, the biggest one that we heard about over and over again was just there were big pockets of families that they just couldn't reach. And they were trying everything, email, phone calls, and finally just snail mail. And then you saw them start reaching out to friends. If they couldn't find the student themselves or the family, then they would ask the friends, of, hey, have you talked to so-and-so? And then they would go that route. But most of the communication challenges that we've been tracking have to do with individual teachers and 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 how their communi- their communication strategies with their classes and with parents. And that's where you're seeing more of the we're still trying to figure out what works kind of thing. And it's not that teachers don't have their act together. They definitely are. They're definitely working hard, but um, they're having to adjust things to accommodate the different scenarios that families are in. The fruit bowl has been turned upside down totally. And so all of the all of the things that we're usually able to just count on when September comes, you know, kids are back at school, parents can go back to work, you know, there there's some normalcy. That's our normal. That's not the case now. Some parents have gone back to work, some parents are out of work, some parents are working, but they're working from home. Some parents are working, but now they're commuting back to their offices. And it's really disrupted the family schedule. So that's why you're you know, as, as families and parents, families and teachers are trying to find that connection, that's where we're seeing the biggest point of friction is just how do we connect? What's the best way for everybody to connect? And they're trying everything. They're, they're getting there. They're, they're, we're seeing more and more consistency. And what I think some school leaders have done very well is let teachers use whatever works for them. Let, let's find some stability in, in one place and then let and and course correct as we keep going along. But that's where things are right now. Thank you. You know, you've used the word um, stability, and I often think of the word predictability as well. Our families and our students do not have a situation right now that is very predictable for them because, as you've both indicated, school is very different this fall than what they're accustomed to when they come back to school. Tom, I'm wondering if you can share with us what has been key to keeping your students and families in the loop, and what have you done to adapt your strategies along the way to address new and unanticipated needs that have occurred? So at the primary levels, up until sixth grade, we have in-class instruction. It's -hmm. social distanced. It's, you know, every other day, in some cases, every day. So we are doing traditional, traditional instruction with a good number of kids. And then for our kids who are now in the digital, virtual distance space, the key is, I think, allowing each teacher to develop whatever method is going to work best for them. Exactly what Kanoi said. It's really about making sure that relationship can happen. And if a teacher feels comfortable making phone calls a couple hours a day and not going to their common planning time to work with other teachers because they know that those phone calls are how they're going to get the kids to actually do the work and how they're going to get the parents to hold the kids responsible and make sure that the computer is working at the home or whatever. Super important. I think the flexibility of an online platform allows this. So we're using Google Classroom for all of the high school level students. And that has created some sort of normalcy and some sort of consistent expectation for all students across the board. But within that, you have a whole gamut of different stuff going on. There are teachers that are using a whole lot of online learning tools, 
like Apex or we have Dreambox. We have other things that teachers are using that are useful. And we have folks who are just videotaping themselves teaching on a smart board with students recording it, sharing it. I would say on top of allowing teachers to be flexible with students, however is needed, documenting everything is really important. So we're trying to make sure that there's no possibility for a student to miss instruction, given the whole wide array of craziness that they could be going through at home. They know that at any time they can go back and receive the instruction they missed. It may not be with that personal touch of a group chat, but that's why you need to have that teacher find whatever method's going to let them connect with the kids on a more personal level to follow up, phone calls, texting, email, whatever. For me personally, it's I created a designated phone line. It can be texted to uh, through Google Voice. I can do it on my computer so I don't have to actually have my cell phone on me. But then if I go home, I can do it at home as well. And we've even, you know, we, we are now exploring how to make the day run longer. Last year when we had the shutdown, we realized very quickly that we couldn't stop supporting kids at 3 and 4 or 5 o'clock. We had to go further to the evening time. Because of our serious budget constraints, we haven't had the funding come through yet to support that. But I guarantee you in the coming months, that will be a huge cornerstone for students to get the instruction and to receive the communication they need to have support available throughout the day. I, I, I requested from our district to aid at night. You know, I said, I want a team of people that are going to be on the hotline, content teachers, so I can say, Tuesday night you have a math person, Wednesday night you have a science person, et cetera, et cetera, to make sure that that support exists well beyond that. Even Saturdays, I, I, I hope they approve um, a Saturday session for three or four hours so when kids are doing work during that time, they can get support. You know, we want to make sure that they feel at every turn that a teacher or some staff members got their back. They have to feel that. Otherwise, they will give up so fast. And we see this all over the place. As soon as they hit, it was like this before with a lot of struggling students where they, mm -hmm. they come across some sort of difficulty and hands are up. I'm done. I can't do this. I can't believe you're making me do this. What's going on? And, and now that has just been exacerbated to a point where we have to get really, really creative and very flexible. And I think making sure that everybody knows that there's someone to go to at any time is essential. And I'll, I'll go back to what was mentioned before and think about when you call customer service and you get a computer or you get a voicemail or you get nothing, or you shoot an email off and you got to wait, you know, we'll get back to you in 24, 48 hours. That might work for you, but it's not going to work if you're a teenager, number one. And it's not going to work for anyone if they really want to feel supported so making sure all those supports are in place. And although we're, we're learning from what we've experienced last year and over the summer, we are still experimenting. I mean, we still do have people doing different things, and we're going to see how that works. Some folks, like I said, are really holding on to the video instruction model, recording it, sharing it, and having that as their main focus. Some folks are leaning heavy into an online tool like an Apex tutorial or something like that. We know all the stuff that teachers are doing works. We just don't know to what capacity in this situation. And, and we certainly are honing, honing the craft here with the focus being the building and maintaining of those relationships. And I'll use this term that I've been trying to coin lately, and it is aggressive advocacy. <laughs> so yes. you need to have tools in place. So if the kid knows you got their back and they're still not doing what you need them to do, you can come at them pretty hard and hold them accountable very specifically so that not only do they feel supported, but they feel a bit pressured. So that aggressive advocacy is important, especially now when kids can get lost in the wind in a heartbeat and you might not see them for who knows how long.
And, you know, we're especially worried about our, our students who struggle with language and our students who have always, that's actually been passed to me specifically. And to be very frank, I do not know how it's going to go <laughs> because the kids are really in a thousand different situations and they have a thousand different good reasons to not get work done. So we have to find better reasons to show them how it can get done. And that is, you know, it's going to take some magic and we'll see if we got it. Tom, I love your phrase, aggressive advocacy. I, it should be a bumper sticker. It should be a bumper <laughs> sticker. And you know, it, it, it really does speak to the heart of teachers in terms of how they feel about making a difference in the lives of their students. And I think that the, the other aspect that I'm really impressed by is how you're rethinking school and the way that you need to come alongside students to give them the support they need. Kanoi, what I'm interested in is, as you're hearing Tom describe what they're thinking about and beginning to implement in Albany, are you seeing similar patterns or similar innovation that's happening in terms of other districts? How are their plans evolving under the uncertainty that we currently are in? Well, first, I just want to again say I, I love that term, um, aggressive advocacy. You know, this pandemic is is a beast of, of an enemy. And so the only way to really get through these enormous challenges that it's presented is to really take a very aggressive LeBron James going to the net kind of approach where you're just charging into hitting this, these barriers head on. And I think that there's a, there's a real truth to that kind of spirit of what we need to bring to the table to get past some of these barriers because we're seeing how these barriers we're seeing very quickly what some of the consequences are of you know, kids falling behind and so forth. So to answer your question, what are we seeing, you know, with other school districts? There, you know, it, it all depends on the on the school district that you're looking at. Where we're seeing a lot of successes are in some of your smaller or to mid-sized school districts where there, maybe there's less bureaucracy that they got to climb through. Maybe there's less red tape that they got to deal with. And so they can make decisions to just implement and they can move forward and they can, and there's maybe less risk in some cases. Some private schools, same thing. If, if there's less jumping through hoops that they have to do, then they're able to just kind of move forward and they're able to make some decisions and just experiment. And then unfortunately you get the case of like, you know, um, New York City and the, that poor school system, you know, they opened up last week and then just a few days later, they got to shut down a bunch of schools in a section of the city. So how schools are evolving across the country, it all depends on the school district. It depends on region and location. It depends on a lot of variables. We're seeing a lot of traction or a lot of interesting successes in some of the smaller schools because they've got less, you know, they've got fewer hoops to, to, to jump through and they've got people that have to wear more than one hat. So they kind of have to just make do with what they have and they have to go forward. They're sort of forced into the situation. But Evolving is a really interesting word that you use because I think that is a really good term to capture what's happening is that they're evolving. They're having to evolve their strategies. They're having to evolve their practices. There will be a point where we have to create policy around some of this. And policy has been guiding some of these things. If policy was already in place, then they're using it however they need to. But in terms of creating new policy for communications, I think many school districts are holding off on doing that formally right now. And I think that's prudent. We're still in that experimentation phase. Policy handcuffed us in some cases. Policy around how you educate students with special needs. Policy around how you educate students with who are English language learners. Equity and, and those kinds of things. And we weren't prepared for this pandemic. We weren't prepared to shift everyone to online learning. And frankly, schools were caught on their heels. So I think there's been some hesitancy to implement certain parameters right now. But as schools are evolving, I think they're taking notes. And they're like, okay, we want to keep this, you know, this worked, this didn't work. This will never do again. This is something we absolutely must plan for in the future. That's where I think folks are. We are experimenting. We are evolving. We are reshaping. We are changing the course as we need to. I think everyone across the board is getting an opportunity to exercise and flex their patience and muscles. Those soft skills are coming in very handy today. Things that were platitudes, uh, things that were just sort of fluffy words that we threw around they now matter a lot more because we have practiced those things constantly, daily. You can destroy a relationship with a family. A teacher can have a great relationship with a family. But this is this whole uncertain environment has pushed everybody to the edges of their of their patience and their mental capacity. And so we're having to be patient even when we don't want to be patient, even when we're totally stressed out, even when we can't reach 
families and, and it's trying everybody. And so they're, you're seeing them call on those soft skills of being courteous, being patient, listening, those kinds of things. Honesty. Honesty, I think, is saving a lot of cases. Parents may not like an answer that comes out of a principal's or superintendent's mouth, but at least if they're getting something that's honest, it's something that they can stand on. And they're looking for answers. They're looking for information. They may grumble, but at least if you're giving them something, that transparency, it's going a long way. You're, you're, you're building trust equity. And, and that's where I think we are. Experimentation evolving and, and working to be honest and transparent to the communities so we can all just kind of hang tight and stay together and create strategies that actually work consistently over time. Kanoi, I think you've also touched on the critical nature of ensuring that social and emotional skills are something we equip our students with in this particular time, because those resiliency skills, those skills, as you've indicated, of just patience and kindness and things like that, that are so critical to getting through this are really important. Tom, we have heard how hard teachers are working to be available and to be responsive to the needs of students and families. Their efforts are admirable, but we also recognize it's exhausting to be available at any time. Has this been a challenge for your program? And what have you been able to do to help your teachers either set boundaries or manage expectations? Ah, well, if you thought teacher burnout was a real thing before, you had best believe in it now because everyone is feeling the burn. I mean, there is a level of self-care that needs to happen at every level that we just never really thought seriously about. In our district, we had these mindful moments at the primary level, mostly, where it was about meditation and thinking about yourself and trying to be healthy. And uh, there were there were a good number of folks that kind of giggled and scoffed at that and said, oh, okay, whatever. We're being all soft and that's fine, but let's get back to teaching. They scoff no more. Yeah. I mean, everyone who's working with students at every level has realized that they need to take care of themselves. I myself experienced I have never had anxiety my entire life. I have always been described as a laid back, roll with it type of person. There's nothing you couldn't throw at me that that would startle me or rattle me. And that's no longer true. I can't say that anymore because I, I officially, you know, bit that bullet last spring when all this went down. So learning how to maintain your own health is vital because if you're not feeling good about what you're doing, the kids certainly aren't. Mm-hmm. So that's that's huge. And unfortunately, right now, things just seem to keep getting more difficult. And a lot of that is falling on the teachers mm-hmm. themselves. We just went through a huge staff reduction and the the amount of work that people thought they were coming into already in a completely new environment in some cases doubled. It is really amazing that some of these folks are doing what they're doing. And that's because we've told people, for the most part, let go. Let go of what you thought this was going to be. Remove your expectations in terms of what your day was going to look like and how you were going to do your job. Because that's not realistic. And it's only going to create more frustration. So. I'll say it again like I first started with, go back to your basic, find out what you really need to do, do that to the best of your ability, and that's all we're going to ask of you. Just do your best. And then the camaraderie amongst staff is important. It's really good that people feel supported by their staff and their principals, and especially now, I mean, the most important people in our building to a large degree are our maintenance staff who, you know, before they were just making sure the peanuts on the ground got up and now they're, they're making sure we're staying alive. They were perhaps doing that before, but now there's a whole new perspective that we're all viewing them through. So it's, it's really different. And if folks aren't careful, they will, they will tap out. And we were already seeing that unfortunately. And in a big, a, big piece of leadership in this space 
is making sure, just like the teacher to the student, making sure the teacher feels supported. Mm -hmm. Like you're not going to come down on someone because they never really learned how to copy and paste all that well. And now they got to teach on Google Classroom. That's not what happens here. What happens here is a, you know, force majeure of support that comes at you when you're feeling defeated. That's all that can happen. Otherwise, we will lose this battle. So, yes, people better be taking care of themselves. And if you're in a position to make sure they are, please make sure they are. Yeah, Tom, thank you so much for that. You have a very strong message around self-care and being aware of expectations and not being afraid to let go because we don't know what this looks like day to day right now. So everyone is doing the best they can under really challenging circumstances. Kanoi, I wonder, and I assume that the answer is going to be yes, but I'd love to hear more detail from you. Is Tom's experience reflective of what you're seeing nationally? Does it continue to be a challenge when it comes to educators and and making sure that they can uh, shift to to, um, this new environment? If you had seen me on this side of the phone, I'm just amening all over the place here and, and just absolutely affirming everything he was saying because that's that's what we're hearing in our conversations. We've made more of a concerted effort to reach out to to teachers um, in our network and anywhere we can to get those authentic those authentic stories to get that feedback about where are you in your career right now and and some stories stand out. There's a teacher I spoke with two teachers in Colorado, Douglas County Schools. And this one teacher teaches third grade. She's a veteran teacher. She's been teaching more than 25 years. She's exceptional at what she does. And as we're talking about, okay, what do you what do you expect to see happening in the in the fall? The only time her voice broke on that call, we talked for about 45 minutes. The only time her voice broke was during this portion of the conversation when she said, you know, in the spring we got a lot of grace and mercy from parents and from our building leaders. They knew we were we we'd had like two days notice. You got to train them, train students to do this. And you're, you know, schools closed down for two weeks as of Monday, but really we don't think you guys are coming back until maybe, maybe May. And then it ended up, they were gone till the end of the year. But she said parents and building leaders gave them, as she said, a lot of grace and mercy in that, in those, in that time, because they knew that teachers had been thrown into the lion's den of teaching at that point and that they were doing everything they could. And they saw, parents saw firsthand teachers reaching out, teachers calling, teachers trying to text, teachers being patient during Zoom sessions, trying to get a student who couldn't figure out how to turn on his mic. She said, but, and this is where her voice spoke, she goes, I'm afraid that's going to be gone in the fall, that they will have looked back, everybody, the, the principals and the parents and go, okay, you had four months, right? You know, you, you figured it out, didn't you? And she said, of course not. We, we haven't figured it all out, but people don't want to hear that. And when she said people, she didn't just mean her principal or her parents. She knew she meant the community because it was very unsettling for students not to be in school. It disrupted everything. Work was a big deal. Suddenly, other things, other aspects of a person's life were disrupted simply because a student couldn't go to school. So she knew that there was going to be enormous pressure heading into the fall. Another teacher I spoke with teaches high school in Oxnard, and she said that when, I, when we spoke about teacher burnout, she it was almost verbatim what Tom was saying about self-care. She said teacher self-care is, is not one of those things that is just something that you hear and you don't really pay attention to anymore. She goes, our leaders, our principals have to make it more of a priority. She goes, and I don't feel like they're, they're getting it. And it was interesting that she had sympathy for the principal because she understood that they were also trying to find their way through. So she was trying to extend grace there. At the same time, she was saying, your, some of your teachers are so close to burnout, they're, they're, they're ready to walk out the door now and screw what happens to them in terms of pay scale, or in terms of pay and, and, and things like that. They, they understand the consequences, but they're just, some of them were older, stress is a real issue, they were concerned for their health, and, and they, were just at, they were at the end of their rope. And, and the question that she said she was trying to work out with some of her colleagues was, how do we, they'd gone to their department head to bring this issue up to that person, but they weren't sure that department head was taking it up the, up the line, up the chain to the principal and then to other folks. So they still felt unheard. Teacher burnout, we were already sitting at one of the highest exit rates for teachers in five, you know, in, in several years, but the numbers of teachers that are exiting the profession within three to five years it's at the highest that it's been like in 20. And now we're here. 
and, and we're looking at like Thomas Saint resignations and so forth. So teachers who are still there feel completely overwhelmed. It's a real thing. As we're moving forward, this must become a priority. And honestly, parents have got to do a better job of supporting their teachers. I love parents and I love teachers. But we've got teachers that are getting text messages in the middle of the night. I told the teachers, you got to turn your phone off. Just put it on buzz so that you don't hear it. But students, because their sleep schedules were all, were all tossed off, they're doing work in the middle of the night and they're texting their teacher, thinking she's not going to get back to them till the next morning, but it still woke her up. Parents are, are reaching out on the weekends because they've got time now. They can get a handle on what's happened during the week. But they're emailing on, on Saturdays, and a lot of them are emailing on Sundays. Um, Education Week ran this story. And they're expecting responses almost immediately, or at least within a couple of days. And meanwhile, teachers are, are scrambling every day, staying up really late to get their plans together. And they say the communication aspect of what they're doing is so time-consuming. Moving forward, we're going to have to implement some strategies to control that set parameters that everybody sticks to. And as we're sticking to that, dear teachers, I love you guys. you got to stop feeling guilty when you implement these parameters and you stick to it. Teachers feel guilty for not getting back to a kid in the middle of the night. I'm sleeping in the middle of the night. I'm not. I, I need to be fresh for the next day. So we're all going to have to learn some new practices. We're all going to have to get comfortable being with some, get comfortable being uncomfortable with some things. Teachers are very student I, I want to do everything for you. I want to do everything to make you successful. And they feel guilty when they, they feel like they're falling short of that. We're going to have to find a way to help teachers get let go of that, as Tom was saying, let go of those things and do the best you can and know that's, that is excellent work. Tom, I heard you adding something real quickly. Would you like to, to respond to what uh, Kanoi said? Yes, that's such a, a top-down motion, all the way up to your school board or your superintendent or whoever, because the principals want to support the teachers in that way. They want to make sure that the teachers feel supported and they're not going to be chastised for for not answering the phone on the weekend. But that goes all the way up. The top-level administrators need to let the principals know that they're going to be supported when they tell their teachers, turn your phone off. And when the when the when a, a parent comes to the school board and says, I tried to call 30 times and they don't answer, the principal needs to be comfortable saying, You're right, my teacher doesn't answer the phone at seven o'clock when it's dinner time for the family. That's not gonna happen. And also I'll say, when the principals and the superintendents are sending out big messages by video chat or email to everyone saying what a good job they're doing and saying thank you. That's not going to cut it. Mm-hmm. You need to talk to those people with a mask, of course, six feet away yep. and look at them in the eyes and tell them you appreciate what they're doing and how hard they're working. Write a letter. I, I, you, are, you are operating under the same notion that you're giving the teachers, personal connections with the students, personal connections with your staff. Don't think that you sent out a thank you email that you've gotten anywhere with your staff because you have not. All right. I, that's just, I can't say that enough. How many teachers I talk to that are stressed because they, they don't feel like they've ever been given a thank you mm-hmm. or they've ever been, you know, given any sort of accolade and not like, you know, a medal or anything, mm-hmm. but just a personal email. A per, I mean, God, if I, you got to see people flip out when they get a like a, a handwritten card. Our superintendent does that here in Albany. When mm. she first came on board, she'd send handwritten thank you notes to people for what they've done. And holy, I mean, that just carries all sorts of weight with people. And so keep that in mind when you're working with them. That's amazing. <laughs> you know I mean? That is amazing. Great feedback from both of you on that. And so important for us to remember that we need to provide the same support for our teachers as that we're, as they're trying to do for the students that they're serving as well. Finally, I'd like to ask this question to both of you. And it is my crystal ball question. When you think about the future of education, how will the pandemic change what schools look like? What are you confident will be part of the fabric of schools in the future? And if you could advocate for education to consider one other change that might be uncomfortable but necessary for us to make when it comes to serving the educational needs of our students, what would you be advocating for? 
Kanoe, let me start with you. You know, it's interesting because my answer dovetails right off of our last, the last question, which is, it, it is teacher. It, it, the teach, if we've learned nothing in this pandemic, we, we must see that the teacher is the cornerstone to the educational experience, period. Everybody makes a huge impact. I'm not taking anything away from superintendents and principals and everyone else, all the other stakeholders involved, but we now know that the teacher is is that building block that, that affects the day-to-day experiences of a student. So how will the pandemic change what schools look like? I hope that it changes how we treat and support teachers. I hope it changes how we pay attention to what they, I, frankly, I hope it changes their pay skills. I hope it, it creates more serious conversations at the national and the state level about the about teacher teacher wages. Um, if I never saw another teacher strike over pay for the rest of my life, I would be very, very pleased with that. What am I confident will be part of the fabric of schools in the future? Interesting. I, I attended the Education Writers Association conference over the over the summer and this a version of this question came up. Um, we're pretty sure teacher training is going to look very different moving forward after this pandemic. It caught everybody on their heels. Districts were not prepared for it. Leaders know that they were not prepared for it. Teachers are like, I do not want to be the one who doesn't understand what's going on. It's hard enough to teach the thing I teach. And and this whole other aspect has, has the, the rug was pulled out from underneath me. So teachers that we're talking to concur and they say teacher training will, it should definitely be different moving forward. Um, pre-service training will be different moving forward. One last thing, if we could advocate Please. for education to consider one other change that's going to be uncomfortable, it's going to still be advocating for the teacher. And I think that we don't think it gets uncomfortable there, but it does. Because all the things that Tom and I have been talking about, teacher burnout, teacher stress levels, those kinds of things, there's a, there's too much of that sort of brushing that underneath the carpet that still happens. We're watching teachers dismantle and break down in front of us. We're watching teachers. There's a Twitter feed right now that it, and it's all anonymous and teachers are just kind of, they're not even venting. They're just kind of, it's a place for them to put their emotions and the things that they're feeling. And if you read that thread, some of those things I don't really like, ah, you know, I, I wouldn't have even looked at this thread and except that I saw a couple of them and I realized that this was legit. I hope we never see another point of time in history when teachers are saying the things that they're saying on that thread where they feel completely unsupported, completely unheard. I hope we do a better job of creating strategies that that address that permanently moving forward. Thank you so much for your thoughts on that, Kanoi. Tom, let me give you the last word. So I'll say that any fear that any teacher or teacher's union or administrator had about online learning taking a teacher's job in any way is over. If you thought that, you've been proven wrong. Because that's the main thing we've learned here, is that without a teacher, nothing will get done. We learned that mostly last year because we did a lot of online implementation without the best teacher support because we were doing just the best we could with what we had at the time. And we had feedback from kids, high-level kids, average achievers, and the like saying they didn't feel like they learned anything for two months. Mm. That struck a chord with me, and I said, we have some of the best resources, and we gave it to the kids to do, and they didn't feel like they learned anything. The only thing that was missing was the effective teacher. And I say effective Mm -hmm. because there may have been a teacher, but that teacher didn't know how to do online instruction, so they were struggling and, and floundering just as much as the kids were. So now that teachers got a better grasp, although the learning curve is steep, they're getting better at it. I think it's, it's a more real expectation that they can help the kids. And, and this will be a better year than last year, for sure. But there's no, there's no fear of online learning taking over any teacher's jobs. Only teachers can do a teacher's job, period. And I think the other takeaway is many districts put online learning, distance learning on the horizon or on the periphery. It's something that we do for remediation, recovery, when we can't fit it in a kid's schedule for any sort of other program that's not mainstream. I think people realize that there is a very strong place in mainstream education for online learning that will fill the need, that will fill many needs within districts. 
And now that I think most districts have been thrust into it, they, they've been forced to see the light. <laughs> you know, us online learning coordinators have been preaching the light for, I've been doing this, I think, for seven years. So however long that's been. And now they see it. And now they're like, oh, this probably would have been good for this, or this probably would have been good for that. So it, it, it was kind of nice that it forced people's eyes to open wide. Mm-hmm. Maybe it blinded them a little bit at first, but now they got their shades on and they're cruising a little bit and they feel more comfortable. And hopefully they have a new perspective on how the online learning and remote learning can really meet the needs of a diverse student body in a way that that people didn't feel comfortable with before and now are forced to. But the last thing I'll say about that is if we don't have good leadership through Mm -hmm. this rough sea that we're sailing at the moment, the opposite will happen. People will be soured. So on top of teachers being retaught how to teach, essentially, leaders, district leaders, need to be retaught how to lead to make sure that all these doors that open up don't get slammed in their face because they didn't make sure that their teachers and staff felt comfortable and supported using these resources in a time of crisis so that when we're in normal times, they also feel comfortable using them. People will be so happy to get back to the status quo, but I tell you, now that they have all these new tools in their tool chest, I think you'll see some really powerful stuff Agreed. coming out of dynamic teachers that are excited to approach teaching in a different way in the future. Tom and Kanoi, thank you so much for your time today. This has been an amazing conversation, and I know our listeners will be able to glean many really valuable insights as they consider their own communication strategies, both now and as they move forward throughout the school year. And Opportunity Thrives listeners, thank you for your time today. If you are enjoying our podcast, we would love it if you would take a minute of your time to share your feedback on our show by providing a review on either Spotify, iTunes, or whatever platform you listen. And please reach out to us with questions or comments at info at opportunitythrives.com. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and we'll see you next time.